Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, Empowered Living, the Resources of the Church, with a message titled, Prayer for the People of God. So turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Prayer is the duty and the delight of every Christian. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. Don't ever stop praying. Romans 12.12 tells us to be constant in prayer. Make prayer continuous or make it the ongoing feature of your life. And of course, when we get to the end of the book of Ephesians in chapter 6 verse 18, we hear that we are to pray at all times in the Spirit. And if we study the prayers of Paul, we're going to find him doing just that. You might remember what Paul said at the beginning of the Ephesian letter, chapter 116. He said, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Or listen to what Paul told the Roman Christians, Romans 1.9. He wrote them saying, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. See, I have an enduring memory of a mentor and a ministry colleague of mine, a man who was a little over 15 years my senior. Every once in a while, I'd knock on his office door, and I'd open it and find him on his knees. He's gone on to be with the Lord now, but that's my enduring memory of him, a man who knew his God and who was constantly humbling himself before the throne. He kept a copy of the church directory beside him, and he marked that book out in sections. He made sure that every single day he was praying for a section of the church. Every single year went by and he did the same, believing it was his sacred duty as their pastor to constantly bring them up before the Lord. He, like the Apostle Paul, would say, I've not ceased to pray for you. I think all of us, those of us who know the Lord, know that God has called upon us to pray. Those of us who are married might pray for our spouses. If you have kids, you're praying for them. If you have grandkids and so forth. But you are also to pray for the people of God. And as you do, what do you pray? See, I'm reading Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. It's one of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you want to learn how to pray for the church, this prayer is one of the best models we have. We're going to follow it through, and at each stage, we're going to have to stop and ask from this, what can we learn as we pray for the people of God? You may have noticed that essentially there are only two requests here. The first request starts in verse 16, and it goes through to verse 17a. It's a request for strength or request for the believers to be strengthened. And then the second request in verse 17b to the end, that is to verse 19, it's a prayer for love. In essence, Paul says, God, give the followers of Jesus strength and love. And then as we study this prayer, we're going to see that Paul fills in the details, that is, what he means when he prays for those two things. And that's what we're going to have to do as well. As we pray for more power and more love among God's people, what is it we're praying for? Now, before we get into the details, 
Let's look at the introduction to the prayer that's found in verses 14 and 15. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. If you go back to the beginning of this chapter, you'll notice that the chapter begins with that same formula, for this reason. You remember what I said back then is that when Paul was about to start in prayer, it's as if he heard the clink of his chains and added a note of explanation about his imprisonment. Paul was in prison because of the unique calling that Christ had given him. God had given Paul a unique revelation that the gospel was for Jew and Gentile. Jews and Gentiles were one body together, one new man. The church of Jesus was therefore the most unique people group on earth. A new race of humanity had been created. The nation of Jesus Christ made up of every people group on earth. And that's why Paul was in prison. The gospel of Jesus creating this people of God had received a severe backlash. But as Paul has said, Through the creation of the church, the gospel was being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So, and then having taken that short detour, he gets back to the matter of prayer. For this reason, he says, well, for what reason? See, I think he has in mind the entire book up to this point. He began by saying that every believer in Jesus has every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Nothing that a believer requires is lacking. In their salvation, God has lavished resources on every believer so that we're spiritually rich. Then if you go back to chapter 1, verse 15, after telling believers of their spiritual resources, Paul there says, for this reason, because of how spiritually rich you are, he said, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. And then we go to chapter 2, and Paul begins to spell out the miracle of their salvation once dead in trespasses and sins, now alive by the rich mercy of God through the resurrection of Jesus. And then you're saved by grace through faith. And then the rich passage we've been studying about the combining of both Jew and Gentile into one body in Christ. For this reason, because of the wealth of your spiritual blessings, says Paul, I bow my knees before the Father. You know, most ancient Jews, when they prayed, would actually pray standing up. It's even true today. You know, go as I have to the Western Wall in Jerusalem and watch the Jews pray. They'll stand at the wall, sometimes reading prayers, sometimes rocking back and forth as they pray. It's a common Jewish way of praying. And I suspect that Paul, being a Jew, would normally have gone to prayer in that fashion, standing. But here he expresses that he bows his knee. He means to say this is an unusual moment. Perhaps he even wants to signal that he's filled with emotion at this point in time. This prayer is a very special moment for him. Well, you might think back to Solomon's prayer when he dedicated the temple. On that occasion, Solomon got down on his knees. Special occasions mandated extraordinary action, and that's what Paul is saying. I'm about to pray for you now that I've seen how extraordinarily rich you have become. And now that you've also seen how unique and different is your status from every other people group on earth. So what else can I do? but bow the knee. And then he adds, from whom? The God from whom every family on earth and heaven is named. It sounds like an unusual way of beginning, but if you think about it, it really does make sense. See, Paul's saying that every family, every people group, every nation on earth has its origin in the God who made them. He not only made them, he assigned to them their unique identity. You know, I think about what Paul said in Acts 17, verse 26. He says, And he, that is God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, 
having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So you have to imagine that God, in his meticulous sovereignty over everything, he determines when nations come into existence. He determines the culture that those nations have. He oversees and directs the movements of various people groups, which will determine how nations come into being and how nations will end, as well as their development. And so when Paul, in an extraordinarily holy moment, remembering the rich spiritual resources that God has lavished on every single believer, when Paul falls to his knees, he calls out to God, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I think Paul's saying, if God so oversees the developments of all people groups on earth, how much more has he overseen the development of this new, unique people group in history, the formation of the church of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Believer in Jesus, when you see your apostle so in prayer for you, please remember who we collectively are. We're a part of a new nation, a new people, a race of humanity that's never existed before. And yet, when God created this world, he had planned this very thing. It was brought into being through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So that's why Paul is now on his knees in this emotional moment. He's praying at a crux in human history. He's praying, recognizing the new thing that God has done and how God has used Paul to bring it into being. It's amazing. So now, let's look at the first of Paul's two requests. In his prayer, that believers would be strengthened Well, let's read it again, verse 16 to 17a. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Notice again, what's the central issue of this request? That God might strengthen with power through his spirit your inner being. Let me see if I can say that in my own words. That God the Father would allow your insides that part of you that's been blessed with every spiritual blessing, that that God will allow the inside to grow stronger and stronger. So much to say. The Back to the Bible Canada-Israel experience is a trip like none other. And I'm not the only one who thinks so. A supporter who attended our last trip said, Now I can relate to the places of the Bible visually because I've actually been there. The planning and organization of the trip was excellent. I'd love to go on another Back to the Bible Canada trip in the future. So make your plans to join an intimate group of spiritual pilgrims this coming April 24th to May 2nd, 2022 for the Israel Experience, hosted by Back to the Bible Canada with on-location teaching with Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld, evenings of entertainment with Laugh Against Phil Calloway, and very special musical guests. More information and trip itinerary and registration forms are available now. So call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to learn more. There's a dichotomy between what's happening inside and outside of every believer. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, 
Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Believers in Christ are no different than anyone else. We get older at exactly the same rate as the rest of the world. We fall prey to illness just like everyone else, no matter what the prosperity preachers say. And as Paul says of himself, he was beaten with rods three times, that he was stoned once, that he was in constant danger from threats. He was imprisoned. He was being tried before Caesar's tribunal, and if found guilty, he would have been beheaded. Paul and all fellow believers face the same bodily weaknesses that are felt by the rest of the human race. It's an important thing to acknowledge. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Outwardly, we do face the uncertainties brought on by our physical vulnerabilities in exactly the same way as everybody else does. See, for this reason, we believers, just like anyone else who faces discouragement, can also launch into depression. Some of these things can be brought on by our weaknesses in our body. We have a body that suffers from the fall like the rest of mankind. And when Paul prays for strength, you're going to notice that he's praying for strength in the inner being. See, that inner being is the one that Paul mentions in verse 17. It's virtually the same as that which is mentioned in verse 18 when he speaks of Christ dwelling in your hearts. Or as he says in 2 Corinthians 4.12, the inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul is praying because he knows the resources they have in Christ is enough to strengthen them from within. Even if everything else falls apart, I'm praying for an inner toughness, he says. Now, when I put it that way, please don't think that this is going to sound like one of those how-to messages we so frequently hear in our culture. You know what I mean? You know, the motivational speaker who says, you can make it. You can discover the giant within, or inch by inch, everything's a cinch. I mean, that kind of a thing. Notice how different Paul's prayers sound. When he prays for inner strength, he prefaces it by praying that inner strength would be granted to them. Did you notice that in verse 16? That inner strength comes as a gift of grace. Now, notice also that he prays that the inner strength would be according to the riches of his glory, and that's important. Let's see if I can explain that. Let's say you received a note in the mail that in the next two weeks, you'd be getting a bank deposit in your account from the richest man in the world. Let's also say that the note you received that this rich man would be giving you money from his riches. Well, you might say, I mean, where else would the money come from? It will come from his riches. But if that's the case, you wouldn't know if the gift was going to be $1 or a billion dollars. In either case, it would be out of his riches. But what if the note said the rich man was giving you money in accordance with his wealth? Well, in that case, that would mean in accordance with the scale and the wealth of that rich man. And then you would know that he's going to put into your account a showcase of just how rich he is. And that would feel very different. And that's what Paul is saying here. I'm praying that you would be strengthened in your inner being in accordance with the riches of God's glory, or in accordance with the abundance of resources that God has available to him. So Paul is praying for inner toughness to be sure, but he doesn't pray that the believers in Christ would find their inner toughness gene, but rather that the abundantly rich God would graciously pour out the wealth of his toughness into them. Notice also that Paul prays that this would be done through the Holy Spirit, It's the Spirit who fills us afresh with the power of God. He continually fills us. In fact, Paul is praying that believers would be constantly filled by the Spirit. 
And to what end? He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, you might be surprised by that. After all, doesn't Christ already dwell in our hearts? Yeah, he does. But the sense here is that Christ would continue to dwell in our hearts moment by moment, that we never lose faith that Christ is indeed dwelling within us. So Paul is praying here that whatever the circumstances that believers face, God will strengthen them with the full faith in Christ, never giving up, always remaining hopeful, always counting on the promises God has given them in Christ, and always counting on God's limitless resources. See, don't you know how easily all of us are prone to discouragement? We are. Bad things happen. We complain. Perhaps God doesn't love me anymore. Maybe nobody does. So we complain and we see the worst side of life. And Paul's praying for us that would never happen. We would always be resilient, never lose hope, always counting on the resources that are provided in God. Now to the second half of the prayer. Paul has prayed for strength and power, genuine inner toughness. Now he prays for love. You see, it's one thing to be tough. It's another to be tough and loving. So the second half of the prayer, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So you notice the key to the prayer is found in verse 19. Paul prays that he wants the believers to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. See, on the one hand, that seems impossible, doesn't it? How are you to know that which can't be known? But here, if we translate the word know correctly, we would see that Paul has in mind not an intellectual knowing. See, intellectual knowing would be like, you know, when we talk about love, you know, to say, here's how a correct and comprehensive definition is given about Christian love and the love of Christ. You see, in that sense, it's very unlikely that we could come up with a comprehensive definition. But Paul's praying that even though we'll never be able to articulate the love of Christ completely, yet we can experience the love of Christ. Paul's not praying that every believer would write a 30-page theological paper on the love of Christ, but rather that they would revel in the experience of that love, deeply feel and develop the experience of love. See, you might remember that beautiful hymn, The Love of God. Second verse, I love that. Could we with ink the ocean fill in, were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor would the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. See, exactly that. You can't say it all, but you can experience some of it. And so Paul prays, I pray that you would be rooted and established in love. Two images there the world of agriculture, that your roots go deeply into the love of Christ. And from the world of architecture, that you would be established or founded or built upon the foundation of Christ's love. But still, Paul's not done praying, that you would experience the four magnitudes of his love. How wide is his love? That is, that it's wide enough to reach out to men and women of every race and tongue and nation and tribe, that you would know how long is his love so that you would experience the truth that you will never exhaust his love for you, you'll never wear it out, that you would experience how high is his love, that is, high enough that he will eternally raise you to be with him forever before his glorious throne, and finally, that you might know how deep is his love so that the greatest thoughts about Jesus would only reveal that this love has no bottom, 
Nothing can exhaust this supply of love. And then what happens when we find this love or experience this love? Paul says that you might be filled to the fullness of God. See, filled to the fullness, it it means that we be filled with the very nature of God, the God who raises dead sinners to life and blesses them with every spiritual blessing and makes them a part of his family. Do you remember the age-old question, what do you give a person who has everything? Let me suggest another question. How do you pray for the person who has everything, every spiritual blessing in Christ? Well, here's how you pray. Pray they would always have inner strength to remember their blessings and never let go of the promises they have received. Pray they're strong enough never to give up on those promises. And second, pray that they would not only know their theology, but they would live it, especially the doctrine of the love of Christ on his cross. Pray that their deepest, widest, longest, highest experience is the experience of Christ's love for them. Pray that this is always their resource. For we who have these two things, the strength to continue to trust and the love that we continue to experience from Jesus will then not only be aware of our rich resources, but we'll also learn to celebrate them, to give thanks, to give praise. So if you're wondering how to pray for your church, begin to pray that way. Then ask others to pray for you in the very same way. And then whether you face triumphs or tragedies, sorrows or joys, no matter what you face, you will know that you are filled with the fullness of God. Thanks, John. That's an important message. But how would you characterize the prayer of Paul in relationship to how the average Christian, or even I pray it sometimes, with a long laundry list of specific requests? Yeah, not only you, Ben, me too, and I guess all of us, because uh, we're needy people. I guess I want to say that because being needy, there are things that we do need from God. So we go to him with our own laundry list. Uh, But having said that as well, I mean, Paul wants to elevate our praying. And I think we need to learn from a prayer like this and say, Lord, I've not yet learned how to pray more fully. So I don't think we, we cancel out the laundry list, but we simply say, add to my prayer something that's greater. Thanks again, John. And remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Deuteronomy 11.19 reminds us that we're to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to the words of Scripture, to ensure the Bible is being taught to our children and being talked about wherever we are and at every time of day. The 11.19 Fellowship, our monthly partner program, has become an essential contributor to making all the ministries and resources of Back to the Bible Canada possible. Now over 700 strong, the 1119 Fellowship represents donors from across the country committed to the mission and ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, laugh again and in doubt. One 1119 member wrote us to say, I know that I can trust what is taught by Dr. Newfeld. This is why we became monthly supporters. To become a part of our monthly partner program, the 1119 Fellowship, or to learn more about the benefits of joining, Visit backtothebible.ca or call 1-800-663-2425. Thank you for supporting Bible teaching 
you can trust.